Hi folks, this is Jack Spirgo with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is May the 28th, 2015. This is episode 1583 of the Survival Podcast. And today I have Galen Chadwick on the line and we're going to talk about something he started up called the Farm Resettlement Congress. Now, when you hear Congress, if it makes you go, don't worry, it's not that kind of a Congress. And it is really, really cool. Uh, I will tell you straight up front today that uh, Galen's discussion is at a very high level and a lot more of the uh, spiritual components brought into it than you generally hear on the Survival Podcast. It will not be every single listener's cup of tea but no show ever is. I do invite you to give it a listen and give it your attention and and to understand the incredible work that he's trying to do and the, the incredible importance of getting it done for, for America's survival, honestly. Before I bring Galen on, let's take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you by helping to make show make sure the show is for you by helping to make sure that the show is here for you Monday through Friday, five days a week. Sponsor of the day number one today is a ready-made resources, the company that does what it says and says what it does right on their website. All the resources you need ready-made, ready to go at readymaderesources.com. And when I say all the resources, I mean it from the tactical to the practical, from guns to gardens, and everything in between. You'll find it at ready-made resources. 12-volt appliances to go with your solar and wind projects. Check, they've got that. You want to do solar and wind? Hey, they've got everything you need for that. You want long-term storage food? You want it by the can or by the case? They've got it. You want to make your own long-term storage food? You need uh, Mylar bags and O2 absorbers? They've got that. You want gamma lids for your five-gallon buckets? Got it. Check, no problem. You want to start canning? Whether it's water bath or pressure canning, they've got what you need. Dehydrators? Got that, too. Want to get over and look at some tactical accessories or firearms if you're in their state or have an FFL to ship? to. They've got it all, man. Like I said, the practical to the tactical, the guns to gardens, and everything in between. You'll find it all at the company that does what they say and says what they do. ReadyMadeResources.com, a long-term sponsor of the Survival Podcast. Happy to serve you with great pricing and great service. Again, ReadyMadeResources.com. Next up today, sponsor of the day number two, Sawtooth Tactical. You'll find them over at SawTac.com. You'll get all the stuff you need to live that tactical life. Lifestyle. If you get on over to Sawtac, veteran-owned, veteran-operated, and nestled in the wilderness of the Sawtooth Mountains, that's why they call them Sawtac. And when I say everything, I mean everything from the awesome manly titanium spork, Maxpedition bags, Magpul magazines, SOE tactical gear, and everything else you can think of. If it's tactical, they have it at Sawtooth Tactical. Remember the website again: www.sawtac.com. And they also do do a discount for members of the support brigade. So if you're a member and you're going to get some tactical material from SawTac. Get into your MSB account, click on Benefits, and look up SawTac and get that discount. Again, a veteran-owned, veteran-operated company nestled in the sawtooth wilderness of Idaho, SawTac.com. Next up, let's talk real quickly about the year that was the episode. I have, for 1583, from Alex Shrugged and TSPWiki.com, a witch burning in Vienna. Releasing Frankenstein's monster. That's all one, by the way. Trial by combat is dead, but the idea is not. 
and Wallenstein and the Marshall Plan. Well, this one is another one of those times where I'm like, I want to read them all, but I can only fit one into a show on any given year. So I'm going to read Wallenstein and the Marshall Plan because it sort of ties into what we talked about yesterday. Wallenstein and the Marshall Plan, one of the great generals of the Thirty Years' War, is born this year. In fact, Albright von Wallenstein will be a little too great and make the Holy Roman Emperor nervous. Wallenstein will offer a novel way of funding wars. Prior to this time, wars were funded by the losers in the form of plunder and taxes on the losers. This policy tends to encourage war. Wallenstein will suggest that if we went to war, if we want a war, we ought to pay for it ourselves. In a sense, this is like crowdfunding wars, and the idea will tend to limit wars rather than expand them. War taxes will come into use after Wallenstein's death, But for now, he's just a baby waiting for his turn at life. My take by Alex Shrugged. After World War I, the Treaty of Versailles called for war reparations from Germany as the loser of the war. And the cause of its damage, though both sides had a hand in that, Germany was unable to repay the countries and resettlement built, resentment built up as the world economy collapsed. The resentment and browbeating set up conditions for the rise of Hitler in World War II. After World War II, the Marshall Plan sought to rebuild Europe without destroying Germany in the process. Last I heard, Europe is rebuilt, so I don't understand why we are still in Europe. But the idea of winners and losers paying for the war is a Wallenstein idea. But whoever had, but whoever had the idea, we pay for war one way or the other. Um, and you start to understand the, the fervent patriotism that's built up around war and equating a war with the soldiers who serve in the war, as though they're the same thing. As though they're the same thing. And if you say, we shouldn't go to war, you're anti-soldier. Shut up, love it or leave it, get out. We talked about this yesterday, so I won't rehash the whole thing. But do you understand the mental control that is, is you know, being conditioned on people by the state when that approach is used? Since we now have to pay for our wars with the people's money through taxation and debt, we actually create the debt using your birth certificate and your child's birth certificate as a stock certificate, by the way. That's how a nation creates debt. It uses its people, and that little birth certificate that you have, that's actually a nation's stock certificate and you. That shows they own you. They own you. You're their citizen, and you'll leave if they decide to let you. And your future labor will pay for their current spending. Well, even with that level of control, you need some buy-in. So you build up a fervent concept of patriotism. And any war we go to, we can win. And any war we go to, we should go to. The people that say you're not patriotic or that you know you're not supporting the troops if you don't want us to go to a war, I think the interesting question for them would be, Well, has the United States ever gone to a war that it would have been better served by not going to? And let that beat around in the bean for a little while. And you know what? The sad thing is most of them will tell you probably no, that when we did have errors and mistakes in our military action, that we didn't do enough. And that means we didn't kill enough people, we didn't drop enough bombs, and we didn't effectively, forcibly enforce our will on other people who don't live where we live. I have an interesting idea, though. What if 
that wars had to be funded on an ongoing basis by the people of a nation. In other words, every day that you're at war, if the people aren't willing to willingly spend money on the war, like war bonds in World War II, you don't have the money for the war. It might be interesting. Sadly, it would probably just result in better marketing. My take by Jack Spierko. Um, next up, I do want to remind you guys that you can support the show and the work we do by joining the Members Support Brigade. If you want to know more about that, go to the survivalpodcast.com, click on Members, and you can learn more about a program that I've put together that I consider a triple win. It's a win for you because I get you discounts to over 60 companies. I just added a company that does infused oils and vinegars, uh, and, and, and right before that, I added another great company for you to get you discounts on Comfrey. And uh, that discount, actually, when you do the math on that, that one comes out to like 15 bucks. The one I just got you for uh, infused oil and vinegars, this is really high-quality, amazing stuff. I made a bruschetta last night using uh, the Persian lime-infused olive oil. It was fantastic. Um, but that particular company is called Olive Basket. I just put out a post about them recently on the blog. Uh, you can get the discount codes in your MSB, and you actually get freedom with your discount to the Olive Basket. Uh, they have uh, freedom of choice, right? Uh, they have over 60 flavors of oil and vinegar. I have all of them, I think. They sent me like the sample model of all of them. Uh, and I'm going through them and trying them out. And I'm really hip on the olive oil. I'm not the biggest vinegar guy in the world, but I like some of that stuff too. Um, but here's the deal. Let's say that you're ordering a couple bottles, maybe one or two bottles to give it a shot. Well, you can get free shipping. But if you're ordering a bunch of stuff, you can get 15% off. And you do the math and figure out for yourself which is the better deal. You can have either 15% off your entire order, or you can get free shipping on your order. How's that for cool? That's just one example of the great companies that I've been adding to the MSB this year. I'm going to keep doing that. Uh, again, if you have a company that does something unique that would appeal to people that listen to shows like this, get in touch with me and see if we can work something out. Because uh, I am looking to continuously expand the MSB specifically into areas that we do not already have supporting vendors for. Uh, with that, I'd now like to introduce our special guest today. His name is Galen Chadwick. He is the force behind something called the Farm Resettlement Congress. He's also a dedicated and tireless food freedom activist, making his home where it finds him among the communities he serves, generally in Missouri and northern Arkansas. He likes to refer to himself as a redneck swami, and he actually is an ordained Hindu swami of the Parishna order and a proponent of Advaita, non-dual consciousness. He started communes and ashrams in the U.S. and abroad, and he is a student of transpersonal psychology. He's one of a handful of people in the world who actually practices sensory deprivation in total darkness for several weeks at a time. So like I said, this is going to be a little bit different level of conversation than you're used to hearing on TSP, but this, the subject at hand is very much what we talk about every day. Individual liberty, individual freedom, food freedom, self-governance. And with that, I want to say, hey, Galen, man, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Well, good to be here. Hey, I'm really excited to have you uh, on today. We're here to talk about something called the Farm Resettlement Congress. But before we do that, I mean, I, I imagine most of my uh, my guests take kind of a curvy path to get where they're at. 
Uh, it probably isn't the case that when you were in eighth grade as a little boy, you were dreaming of growing up and doing something like this. So kind of how did you get into what you're doing? What's your background and uh, kind of where are you at today before we get into, uh, you know, the, the meat and bones of what we're going to talk about today? Right. I'll I'll, uh, I'll keep the curves limited. Uh, when I was in the eighth grade, I was always sitting next to a window wondering how I was going to get outside, uh, out where nature was happening. Um when I was 16, I went to Switzerland on a foreign exchange program sponsored by Rotary. Ended up living with some of the ruling elite of Europe in Swiss in a scientific family. Um, uh, sat at the table with Nobel Prize quality people and came back at 17, ready to go to college and uh, uh, did not uh, last long. I think the, the issue was relevancy back in the 60s. <laughs> And uh, helped form the uh, Round Oak Commune in Southern Boone County in 1970 with uh, Susan John, um, a a great permaculture uh, uh, student, uh, even back in those days, a follower of uh, Rudolf Steiner. So I learned uh, early on some of the uh, biodynamic principles and then uh, went on uh, shortly thereafter. A few years became an ordained monk in the Advaitin tradition, non-dual tradition, and helped found uh, ashrams and communities here and in Australia. Um, then went on uh, to become uh, do equally in business and uh, transpersonal psychology movement, and uh, have never really stopped trying to figure out how to build authentic community in harmony with uh, our planet. And uh, I'm, I'm, my life's an open book. Some of it may be sound improbable and uh, and as to the monk part, I'm still an ordained monk. I never said I was a good monk. <laughs> Just get that on the table. <laughs> good or bad, I'm, I'm absolutely committed to uh, service of the earth, to rebuilding a uh, sustainable community, and to empowering the individual uh, along uh, the roles that are, let's say, more uh, in harmony with those other two relationships. That's very cool. Um I, I would like to kind of ask you a little bit about this uh, this thing you started called the Farmer Settlement Congress. What exactly is that, and what is it designed to address? Good question. Uh, in essence, the Farmer Settlement Congress is a 20-year plan to restore food, energy, and economic security to we the people in any given region. It takes a watershed approach. Uh, politics are simply a except for local politics, your local friends and neighbors uh, are simply off the table. It's uh, irrelevant. Uh, We have uh, three foundational principles. First of all, retain the land. Second, resettle our youth, displaced veterans, displaced farmers. And three, uh, restore local management to ourselves. And we can circle back to the retain, resettle, and restore. There's a lot in those three words. And uh, beyond that, our philosophy is universal we, because we promote three universal relationships, all based upon health. Um, and these relationships are essential to the life of every human being. And in fact, there's no exceptions. That means our, our personal relationship to our source, our creator. Uh, for those uncomfortable with those words, substitute the word conscience. Uh, second, to our family and species, our, our community. And third, uh, to the planet and natural law. So these three universal relationships uh, boil down to a triple bottom line approach uh, to our economy, to our community, to our lifestyle, in which harmony in all three 
become the uh, the, the honest mirror uh, for moving forward, and uh, one that we we have to pay attention to all three of these spheres. So on the the re- retained part of the land, uh, if we can get deeper into this, I, I think we will. Uh, has a triple bottom line uh, involved with it that reflect these three uh, universal relationships. Um, I don't want to kind of overload too much at once, but I think in a nutshell that would be my elevator speech that uh, get people's attention and uh, basically uh, cover it with a, a foundation. I think we're getting ready to launch a phased approach here that would involve... Uh, Profit, non-profit, and the five hundred one c three eight church exempt or spiritual status. All three uh, would be involved in uh, our, an aggressive charitable fundraising campaign that the Congress is going to start. And uh, I might just leave it at that for a minute. If you had a question about so far what I'm saying. No, yeah, I. It sounds fascinating. Um, can we talk a little bit about? You're kind of going into it there, but your your strategy for organization. I mean, people hear the word Congress, and I, I think that in today's day and age, that that word has a pretty big negative connotation <laughs> because we oh, a bunch of really wealthy people in Washington D.C. who will become yeah. wealthier people after they lose their jobs. But that's really not what you're talking about. No, we're redefining the meaning of the word. Uh, it, it, the same way we eschew political reference or uh, opposition to that, uh, we need to reclaim the word. I put it wherever two more people are gathered in the name of restoring food, energy, and economic security, they're having a Congress. And uh, specifically, if any group of people in a watershed begin doing their energy audits, their food audits, you know, the shortages, what we need to bring back to parity to feed their own population, uh, they're doing the work of the Congress. And when they've got their their energy and food audits and business, everyone's invited in this, completed, you dissolve. You go back to your own work that you need to do. Milk the goat, plant the garden, chop the tree, pick one or two representatives, and then they go to the next level of organization, identifying the salient lands within any given watershed that would democratize the food base, bring it local, keep it local, restore local management, bring back the astonishing diversity uh, and richness uh, that this country once had, and uh, plan to feed our cities from it. it. It's horizontal organization by, for, and with we the people. Um, based on the early patterns of settlement, we are resettling our landscape. And uh, for this, we have one text, and it's probably familiar to your to your listeners, but it's called The Unsettling of America by Wendell Mer- Berry. Uh, if we understand how we are unsettled, we will understand how to reverse engineer the, poli- uh, you know, the, the policies and the, the progress to where we are, uh, reverse that and restore local management, jobs, and economy uh, in that process, all of which hinges on health. We, we're, we're a health-based uh, movement, and I should say uh, some, some of the the really salient facts that come in here, uh, just noting this and then kind of build the case, women make or influence 95% of all food purchase decisions. 
and yet they own almost none of it. Production, processing, distribution, much less the corporate side of it. So to bring back gender egality, social egality, communal egality, and indeed the kind of future all of us would want to live in, means bringing back that part, uh, essential nurturing part of the food supply system back into women's hands that we had at the height of our Jeffersonian democracy, the height of our prosperity, um, before the corporate, you know, dinosaurs took over. So it's following, uh, we're really retracing the, the steps that brought us to empire back to earth community. And along the way, not just women, but men will be re-empowered. Our businesses, our jobs, our local communities. It's a work we can and must do. We have a 20-year plan to achieve that. Uh, you can look at it economically. You can look at it soil restoration. You can look at it all kinds of ways. But uh, uh, I think the answers are pretty well known. We did it before, and we can, and now we really must do it again. There's a lot you've said so far that I kind of want to talk about a little bit deeper. One is basically resettling our youth, and you specifically mentioned our service members. Yeah. Um, this is very interesting to me because I've said that I think there's a lot of healing that's necessary for some of these men who uh, have been sent into horrible places and did the best they could. Some of them are coming home reasonably intact, and I'm not even talking about physical right now, I'm talking about mentally, and some are coming home totally messed up. And I think it's traditionally been the case that men that came home from war generally went back to the farm up until you know our recent modern wars. That, that was kind of one of the ways that you rebooted and reconnected with what it is to be human, because a lot of times you're sent to do things that it make you feel not human anymore. I know when I got out of the military, I walked from Pennsylvania to New Hampshire on the Appalachian Trail because I needed something like that to get out of that. So how do you see this affecting our, our returning vets? And also, I think even just our youth, like I think also we have like this totally other problem with our youth. We have these millennials that like they want to do something, but they feel like there's nothing for them to do. That's right. You speak to purpose. Uh, Victor Frankel uh, and I know survival is, is a major theme among us. Uh, Victor Frankl wrote a great book uh, called The Purpose of Man, lived in a concentration camp, and he noticed the ones that survived, and here survival is the bottom line on a day-to-day -day basis in a Nazi death camp, uh, had purpose. Their life had a greater purpose. They had a goal larger than themselves. And this speaks again to our three relationships, you know, the, the personal, then what I call the community or the transpersonal, above or beyond the, the personal, still human, and then the transcendent. And that's where we deal with the universal absolutes of, of existence, knowledge, bliss, truth, those fundamental uh, things. All three uh, he spoke to, and I think that the beauty of this movement is that it's based upon these truths, that it speaks to them and it simply asks, not for a political not for economic, not for ideological or any other personal uh, motivations, but for health, meaning harmony, as the absolute and honest mirror. We can talk green and good, green and great stuff till the cows come home, but if we can't live in harmony with nature on its terms, 
you know, without burning this planet and passing the totality of that knowledge on to our young, our young firstborn, we're not biological adults. And what we're facing is the confusion of a vast sea of humanity that are in various stages of devolved juvenility. So to the returning veteran coming back, having left this and then shattered in a cauldron, you know, coming back, not just men but women too are committing suicide now 22 a day, far more than we're losing in any war. It's the lack of purpose and direction and overarching meaning of this country and the wars and the what they're fighting for. As the truth about the single-minded profit motive, you know, of a, the global the globalist structure gets more and more spread and, and clear in people's minds. It's less and less meaning behind it, less and less to, to live and die for. Uh, it seems like a rigged game. And uh, speaking to this, the memes, I think, that undermined our, our common feeling uh, of anxiety in these days, the first is that nobody is going to fix this. Nobody's even talking about how to fix this, much less couching in terms of a peaceful future, a prosperous and shared future, a self-sustaining uh, and self-governing future. When have you heard of any politician, lawyer, or anybody on the screen even talking like that? that? That's the first thing. The second is nothing is going to come on time. No one is coming. No one's coming to fix this. So to this, this transpersonal psychological ocean of the unspoken, the Farmer Settlement Congress and probably its parent, the Foundation for uh, uh, Local Food Security, which are filing here in the next couple of days. Uh, this speaks to a third option, meaning the first being FEMA will feed me, to I have a gun, and, and now a little bit, uh, I have a patio tomato. <laughs> no, this one is we the people can and must feed ourselves independently, as we always have throughout time and space, in order to claim any of these other derivative values, duty, liberty, freedom, our everything now depends wholly upon we the people divorcing ourselves completely and yet responsibly from every technology and power that is destroying this planet. Full stop. People need to be able to say it in a single sentence. And from this comes their dedication to serve the planet, to live in a community worthy of the name, and here we can bring up the question of mother culture, worthy of the name, and then back to the individual's uh, opportunities and responsibilities as the derivative of these three things. And we all seem, and I, I, I'm the first one to pass on a transparent belief to you. I'm the first one to, <laughs> I'm just as guilty as anybody to joke about the, the political buffoonery of that other Congress, uh, and yet we should know that this movement is inclusive. We mean to feed everybody, including that corporatist, his wife and his dog. And in fact, it's come to become clearer and clearer, uh, Jack, that we don't need to fight that anymore. Gravity is doing it. If, if I can give you a, a very inspiring little vignette that I personally witnessed last November, I was down in the boot hill. This is the corporatist landscape. Poison, flat, Monsanto all the way, etc. There was a young farmer there. A neighboring county had been named after his ancestors. That's how deep these roots are. 880 acres going all organic. There were 22 other farmers sitting in that room. 
they they'd just as soon be doing a self-induced dental extraction instead of being there. <laughs> They're all millionaire farmers, but dressed like any farmer, staring at the ceiling at their boots, and every they did not want to be there, but next to each one of them was their wife because it's their kids that are coming down with autism. It's their kids that have these uh, these diseases and maladies and things that are exponentially increasing among our population, and they're reading those women magazines, they're hearing about health issues, and it's their kid, and it's their niece, and it's their daughter that's coming down with this, and their men are sitting in this room, by golly, and they're listening to the truth of harmony with nature, of putting back the probiotics into the soil, of restoration, revival, resettlement. And seeing that, that one time I saw what was happening, it's time to turn our energies and our fixed attention in opposition to the falling dinosaurs because they're falling. It's coming apart uh, from within, in their own bedrooms, in their living rooms, on the cell phones that their kids are sending to them. This is what we need to take encouragement with and now turn the attention of all of us to a positive, sustainable program for this planet, for ourselves in the, in the life web of all living things. Uh, this, I think, is the power of the Farmer Settlement Congress. It's uh, more or less the, the activist core. I think the foundation for local food security will be widespread. It will go throughout this bioregion soon, um, I'm a deep discussion with an incubator that's worked at national level movements like this, I'm getting very sound advice, and uh, although we've just started, my gosh, I think it's maybe 71 or two days since we started our first little Congress of 50, and now we're already talking in three states, Kansas, Missouri, and Arkansas, and it's a wave that's been created, it's a awakening not an organization, not a hierarchy, not the top-down definition of power, uh, which is only half of the equation, by the way, but that's the one we're fixated on. Um, so in a broad stroke, I'm laying out kind of the where it's happening, how fast it's happening, and why it's happening. Um, and I leave it at that for any more questions. I, I fear that if I speak too long, I'll, I'll I'll miss your question somehow. No, no, it's it's fine. And I mean, my my kind of it, it sounds very exciting. I'm, I'm kind of thinking, you know, what is what is your long term vision with numbers of farms? How are these farms being established? That type of thing. We worked really hard to get some things going with Perma Ethos, and we've we've discovered some really interesting things about farming. Like you can't really fix a farm for somebody else. You you have to. Uh, encourage others to found their own farms. Uh, so, what 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 do you what do you see for your your you know kind of your future? How farms are actually established, launched, etc. Great question. Uh, let me frame that by saying that I'm probably a generation older. Uh, people of my age are right now turning over in the next 20 years of this plan in this region, 200 to 300 billion dollars of assets. I watch two farms a week float past my eyes that have no heirs. It goes to a church, goes to the local hospital, it's divided up, uh, short-tail relatives from California that will clear-cut it with a phone call and subdivide it. Uh, it's going to uh, save, the, save the warm fuzzies here or the starving people there. Or Every single cause 
except the one that matters the most, which is this. We need to bring back one million independent farms here in Missouri, for instance, to use a political boundary, that we have lost in my adult lifetime, and we now import $30 billion of food into one of the richest agricultural places on the face of the earth. This has happened so big, it is a collapse so across the board, so structured, so designed, and so detailed that it escapes the attention uh, of most of us, unless we're really flying at a 10,000-foot level and can understand the meaning of Food, Inc., the destruction of all of the seed cleaning operations as a national and tactical goal. We're not really understanding that this is not happening by, quote, mere market forces. We're looking at a strategic takedown, a breakdown of the civilian ownership control of the food supply system itself. So according to FEMA, the state of Missouri has two to three days' worth of food in the just-in-time globalist supply line on any given day for six million people. So what I'm doing uh, through this movement, and as much as people will hear me saying, whatever other personal goal, charity, cause, anything, belief, I don't care what it is, unless until we the people can independently feed ourselves again. You're playing in pipe dreams. You're expecting somebody else to fix it, someone else to maintain your lifestyle and comforts and everything while somebody else fixes this problem. Well, the problem is we have one billion serfs working for a dollar a day to keep our lifestyle going. And I'm not rejecting Adam Smith. I, I simply ask people to read his first book, the moral and ethical foundation upon which any ethical capitalism can be based, and the failure of the commons, the original commonwealth movement, by the single-minded smash-and-grab greed, disguised as the crony capitalism we suffer today. And the antidote is not to eliminate the human drive, entrepreneurship and so forth, but to harness it with the other two relationships, with community and nature, in such a way that all can benefit. No one is made to be smaller than they are, to, to, to slow down, but to channel this energy into a new commonwealth movement that first of all uses the people money from charity, and the, the figures will astonish you, I think, or all of the listeners who have been voices crying in the wilderness, no one's paying attention because we've been asking the wrong question. The question has always been, uh, why can't we organize? Why can't people get it? Why don't they just see the obvious? The answer has always been, who's going to pay for it? <laughs> and the answer is that $20 billion to $30 billion of this charitable giving that's given without any direction, with no plan for the future, with no inclusion of the youth, disabled vets, uh, and the displaced farmers, it all comes home. We're going to just form a, a massive charitable funnel here, and, and every watershed can organize and reach the prize. What is that prize? When it works out its 20-year plan for food sufficiency for its watershed, uh, rebuilding its value chains, its producer-originated distribution systems, uh, on and on, uh, working up uh, to that level, then the money the permaculture uh, village planners, the soil scientists, and everyone else that's already on board with this, on that end, will come together, that money will be released, uh, and that, that watershed, that food hub, 
will be established with a, a permanent food base security and it's simultaneously being developed in the city through the Farm Resettlement Congress stores, through the uh, the activities. They, we'll go into all of those. Your mind can imagine everything we've talked about as a, you know, in this conversation as a people and, and fill in the blank. It's all of the above, but it's a whole cloth turning of our of our collective attention back to the essentials that if we don't nail down we've got three days worth of food and what's plan b there is no plan b there's no plan at all other than the one we've got and when i say it's strategic intentional and structural that's all i'll say about it other than it's not accident this is what is is and we must empower people now uh, everyone to weather whatever uncertainties that the tide and time is going to throw at us. You said something interesting toward the beginning. You talked about the multi-dimensional organization, and you talked about nonprofit and and and, and tax-free church and profit, because yes. profit obviously has to go into this. You, it, Mark Shepard said very eloquently in California Permaculture Voices that if you have a charity without a profitable uh, entity tied to it, what you have is a professional begging organization. That's I, I, he said it better than I could ever. I just say amen. So <laughs> I'll just say amen. So imagine you have uh, land owned by the people of a particular valley. Think Swiss democracy, 700 years, hands up, hands down, no secret ballots. If you can't say it in front of your friends and neighbors, you probably got a secret agenda, or you're too shy to be there. I, I'm just saying, for 700 years, they have managed the thin, poor soils in those mountain valleys since Roman times. We don't have anything to teach them about democracy or permaculture. I'm just saying what we need to do is re-democratize the, along the natural boundaries, not the legal abstractions that came after settlement, after food hubs were created, after we the people organized. We need to resettle our land in the original fashion by rebuilding community, capitalizing select lands, and this, again the people of the watershed will pick out their food deficit lands. Uh, the county I'm in has 10,000 people. I'm the average age, close to the average age. I'm 66. We are almost totally fed from the globalist model, and the young people in the room are few and far between. To revitalize this, just to feed ourselves, we need to restore about 12,500 acres in our own county, fruit, nuts, vegetables, all of the diversity we had, that's what we're eating. That's our food deficit out in, the, out in the country. Now, for the cities, the numbers go up by orders of magnitude. And we have calculated the, the acreage deficit, you know, by the, the federal uh, standards for how much an average adult consumes. And you can calculate it backwards to what we need, quantify it. This is what this program is based upon. It's based upon the quantities we actually consume, acreage that needs to be restored, the process of food hub formation and democratization, and how do, how do we govern these new commonwealths? This is the hot, wonderful area of discussion. Here's, here's what I'm suggesting at this point in the conversation, that let's say the young Smith um, and his family are on the commonwealth land. He owns his business, and they own their co-housing unit or whatever it's going to be, condominium. In other words, people have the right to occupy that space, their jobs, and that has a value, and it's fungible. 
let's say that that young fellow turns out to be a miscreant or does some heinous act in the community, no longer wanted. Well, the assets that that person has is transferable. The community buys him out, he takes it, and we have not robbed Peter uh, to pay any of the other uh, Pauls in the community. And yet the people that are actually growing the food, doing these businesses, competitive, making money, uh, the workhorses of this community, and, and by the way, I have to say right at the beginning, elder care, a retirement within this setting is going to be very key. And this is where your displaced vets come in of every type with their skills, their management. Um, it, we're really recreating an America based upon the failed promise of a commonwealth, commonwealth, uh, that missed its turn by human greed and uh, the fact that human hearts are easily tempted. Uh, as says Frodo. <laughs> so it, it, it also sounds like a very decentralized model. So I actually have a, a huge problem with the concept of democracy as it's used in America today, because the collective will of uh, of millions of people in a place like New York City uh, and and San Francisco and 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 Houston, Texas, can effectively alter the freedom of choice of someone in, uh, trying to farm. In in a, a small suburb outside of Fort Worth, and, and it, it seems preposterous that that we've lost that much control um, when we were set up to be a very decentralized nation. The the federal government was established for very clear, specific reasons, and it wasn't to tell you whether or not you could grow industrial hemp. That's not that's not at all why it was done. But today, the federal government is probably more involved with farming than farmers are. Well, let's take it over. It's, it's, yes, uh, we, the idea of a democracy is, what is it? There's a quote, you may know it better. The, the common man uh, strives in eternal yearning that the tenets of democracy will be fulfilled and the rich cower in terrorists lest the, the common man discover that it never existed. Um, what we, Hamilton won. Jefferson lost. I'm a Jeffersonian. The, the, the democracy that we have in our minds, and for us older ones in our textbooks, and before that history was erased, is one thing. We don't live in that America. We don't live in that. We, we have a, a shadowy New World Order, call it what you want, that's clearly running a rigged game at almost every level, and uh, are astonishingly affordable politicians are all too happy. Uh, they have no other model to which to claim allegiance. And I'm not claiming all of them. I know there's some strong and dedicated voices out there. I'm not against them. And I'm not beating up on anybody. But the idea that what we have now is a democracy is, is as absurd as what we have now as a Congress. The, the words have been bastardized to the point where our whole language, this is what I mean, language itself needs to be re-rooted in the observable facts of nature. No one can be trusted anymore because everyone out there is a juvenile. If by the biological definition of adulthood, meaning you can feed yourself in nature and pass that information on to your offspring, then all of humanity is lost in this miasma of self-reflection and this infinitely evolving hall of mirrors of our own mindscape, now cityscapes, now corporatescapes. This is a type of insanity that needs to be called out for what it is. It's, it's by elision, by omission, not by any... I don't need to ascribe evil 
to any particular person or circumstances, uh, human stupidity more or less covers all of that. But what we need to do now is redirect people's attention, particularly in the cities. Uh, it's not about educating them. It's not about spending one more minute uh, arguing or this or that. It's a redirection of attention itself onto what is vital to our mutual survival. That two to three days' worth of food for millions and tens of millions of people in the city is simply not sinking in. They feel the anxiety, but they don't get it. They know something is radically amiss, but they don't know what. Well, as you and I would probably point out, the parameters of this whole discussion is the fact that we, the people, on this globe are increasing by a net increase of a million people every five days or so. Think the city of St. Louis landing on this planet every five days. Fish, forestry, everybody's desires to be fulfilled, to be transported, to have the good life. We simply are, are and all the hierarchical structures, more or less, are the secondary effect of a population in full swarm. We are a species in full-blown planetary swarm with no overarching guiding vision of a peaceful, inclusive you know, sustained future. And so when we speak to these things clearly, forcefully, I found that the audience in the cities are, are not only responding, Jack, but it's not them that the two farms a week that I'm seeing go past me without heirs. It's the people in the cities that are, are about to give with extraordinary generosity because we, their fellow citizens in the country, have now made it our point to feed them and not somebody in China or Argentina or somewhere else, we now will take responsibility for each other. That means the ability to respond. The, the, the entire weightedness, uh, uh, the fixed attention we have on government, on hierarchy, on regulate, all of this stuff is simply the inverse image of our powerlessness, of our, our, our frittered away purpose in life because we've been educated, educari, through our senses into an extroverted materialism of comfort, of convenience, of every man for his economic self. This is not what the Constitution was about. This is not what democracy is about. So the very use of these words is so changed with our times and the eraser of our, of our historical memory, of the landscape amnesia. I'm in my 60s. I remember when we fed ourselves in the world. My grandfather's generation had 7,000 varieties of apples in the state and led production year after year. It, it's, it's this uh, deliberate eraser of, of history through the education process, state-sponsored process, created, this is the Prussian model, uh, the, uh, I apologize for not listening as much as I should. I live off grid in a very no. That's fine. We we definitely have discussed the Prussian model of education. I've described it as being yeah. like okay. So today we have people walking around with a phone in their back pocket that has more computing power than the. To computer banks that put a man on the moon in 1969, yeah. but we're still using an educational model from the mid to late 1800s. 
this makes no sense, and it is being used to program people for a society that doesn't even exist anymore. And and what you describe about people feeling something's wrong, knowing something's wrong, but not being able to say what it is, is because they don't know what it what it what it should be. It's like the other way I put it is like imagine a field full of cattle, and there used to be a fence, and the fence kept the cattle in the field, uh, but the but the the cattle have been in the field for a thousand generations now, and the fence rusted to the ground a hundred years ago, and all the cows could leave, but none of the cows understand to leave. And that's our people today. You don't have to tolerate this crap. You can do something about it, but they don't know what to do. They don't even really know what's wrong. They just know that something's wrong. Boy, that that is eloquent. What I what I would say is that the computing power, electricity, magnetism, time reversal weaponry, everything you would talk about, these are the extrapolated higher powers of our own mind we are materialized into the belief that it is external to us. Instead of uh, truly awakening the human brain to its potential and the, all of these higher powers, you know, if you're Christian, the Jesusoid powers. If you're Hindu, then the yogic powers of Patanjali, people, uh, Buddha, all of these things. This is every human being's birthright and gift to realize that what they see on the so-called outside world are their own projection. This is humanity's gift and his huge uh, failure to use is these projected powers into matter, externalized, and now we have a fundamental lack of our failure of identity. We have forgotten who we are and where these powers come from. And we no longer even recognize that all creatures have three distinct spheres of relationship. And they all have to be healthy and they have to be integrated. So speaking this truth in the cities or outside of the cities is to remind people to recognize where these powers of perception originate in the first place, where novelty, spontaneity, and genius of the people comes from in the first place. So without defining it, because it's fine, we just simply say this is the transcendent, the spiritual, that part beyond uh, which any human mind can comprehend, and leave it at that. It, education is a process of defining, redefining, and making things so defined that we forget that things were originally fine. Then we named them, labeled them, drove ourselves out of the garden by naming it, and now we live in this nouning of the world where, in fact, everything is a verb. Everything is continuously arising. This universe is spontaneously and, and continuously arising and reorganizing itself as the universal intelligence. These are fundamental observable facts through which all protestations and argument fall silent. But what's lacking is just clarity right now. So if, if we have a mission, it's to be clear. And I just put that down to tell the truth. This planet is on fire. You know, I'll tell you, I, I envision if, if there were, let's say, an alien race that was observing what was going on here on this planet, they would say, this is a hell of a species. It is, it, it, to, to look at the, the absolute genius of some of the things that human beings do, alongside some of the most profound stupidity, that you, you, you would have to think that an advanced race would just look at this and go, how is this even possible 
that the same people that have done some really amazing things are also worried about, to be blunt, Kim Kardashian's ass. Right? I mean, you would just look at that and go, if you if you saw one or the other, it would How am I supposed sense. to get that out of my mind now? Okay. <laughs> you know? But I mean, seriously, if you saw one or the other, if you saw the profound stupidity, okay, that would make sense. If you saw the sheer genius of human creativity, that would make sense. When you see them side by side, it's just kind of like, huh? And I think it's because the one is our destiny and the other one's our distraction. It's to own both, really. How can you raise one half of a wave? Is it all good? Can we have hot without cold? Can we have the, the Einstein without the Kim? I, I'm saying the true empowerment, that means true responsibility to respond to whatever exigencies life throws at us, comes not by claiming one half and fighting the other, but understanding that in this dual and divided nature, this all this dual throng that we're educated into is subsidiary to an intelligence that is pervading, creating, and sustaining all of this every moment. It's the misdirection of the human mind into smaller and smaller circles of personal self-involvement that's the problem. I think of, uh, I, I smile when you're talking about these. Uh, Albert Einstein said to a reporter once, he said, do you know the difference between genius and human stupidity? And the reporter thought for a moment, he said, no, Einstein said, Ah, uh, genius has limits. And, uh, I, I think we have to, uh, yeah, we have to laugh at it and ourselves all the way down the line. But the us-them oppositional language, it's not the which side you take, it's not what facts you use, it's not what evidence you point to, it's the dualistic and divided thing itself that is the medium of our continued educating each other into the stupidity of burning down our own planet. And so I could say it's an educational, I could say it's spiritual, I could say it's all of the above. I don't. I say the Farm Resettlement Congress is an income-driven investment plan to buy back America while we still can and restore our own food, energy, and job security while we still can because nobody's coming to do it. There's nobody with an idea of how to do it, and the same way we the people did it in the first place, by getting dirt under the nails, by going up these valleys, by struggling, by sweating, by supporting each other. There was no Walmart to go to. There was no hospital over the next ridge. There was no state to complain to. You had to do it on biological terms or fail. And I'm afraid those terms are still there in the original contract. And we will either succeed with a biological solution, not political, or we will fail by one. And I think this redirection of attention to a philosophy that's inclusive, embraces all, does not uh, deny the existence of evil, but begins with a different statement, this world is our projection. What we see on the outside is who we are being on the inside. Show me the line that divides the outside from so-called inside. Where is that line? We're living in this vast mental scape that we're now co-evolving, divorced from, lift off from the biological realities of our own body, our health, our mind. And it's not that that's a bad thing, but it's one from which we must now recover perspective and put it back into the service of this planet. 
And by so doing, we serve each other, and by doing that, others will serve us. We will be part of a true community that cares and shares for each other. Simple. Agrarian. Don't you think that the the concept of resettlement is actually... In many ways, you know, you said buy back our land and, 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 and talked about what it was like in the past. Don't you think it actually would be easier to do today than it was for the people that originally did it? They didn't have a tractor. They, like you said, they didn't have a Walmart. And you didn't buy land. You had to go out and carve it. Now, there's a lot of our land needs remediation, but it's, it's, not, it's not what it was when somebody showed up with a crosscut saw, right? And had to make a 40-acre homestead with himself, his son, and his brother, and his wife. And, and like you just had to do everything manually. It would be easier to do today. People always think that money's the hurdle. I've always found you can always solve the money problem. Government problem takes a little bit more creativity. You're absolutely right. We are blessed with all kinds of knowledge, advantages, uh, that a 20-year time frame, well, I'm not saying we're going to remediate you know, the whole planet. I am saying that we will by then have a healthy foods as our standard, that uh, people will know the order, the natural order of things. Illness begins with the letter I, I me mine. Wellness begins with the letters we. When anybody gets sick, however rich, powerful, arrogant, whatever they've attained in life, the moment they can't help themselves, that that moment comes to most all of us, suddenly, at long last, they realize that community, the we, has always carried them to their profit or loss. It's always carried them. We have a human community, and it's a species uh, role that we have to tend this beautiful garden. And if we can do that, the rest will take care of us. I mean, there is a, a larger unfolding joy and beauty, that this cosmos that is beyond words. And it's the knowledge, education itself begins with the statement that language underdetermines meaning. We're using this common language with all of your associations, memories, history, apart from mine, and I'm bringing it in. It's the erasure of all of that that makes the mutual trance of language possible. What we're doing is shifting the trance. It's not that we're creating a trance. Everybody is so far gone into this hyper-individualism trance that we've got going here precisely because of modern education, so-called. And with the Prussian model, I, I like quoting or misquoting the Kaiser Wilhelm, the Emperor of the Second Reich. I cannot conquer Europe with farm boys. And here your women should put in farm women, because it's probably even more true. Uh, they are independent. They can feed themselves. They do not need the state. Take away their children at an early age and indoctrinate them with the goals of the fatherland. That is kindergarten, my friends, and that is public education designed to separate the serfs from control and ownership of the land and make it safe again for regency and the banks of the world. And here we are, very short time later, three generations, five generations later, and we have people with their degrees from the local university that think that food is manufactured in the back of the grocery store. I have personally run into a person, I'm not making it up, I'm just saying we are educated into oblivion, into almost total helplessness. This is not the great message that the the city dweller wants to hear. 
where the only person still to be denigrated at will is the clodhopper, the hayseed, the, the dumb farmer, the butt of all jokes, and yet that person, now corporatist, somebody in China, is feeding every bit of food they bring in. This is a reality check. And we the people, with our current resources, skill sets, memories, and all the beautiful education they have, bring that to the table now with a, a movement, a populist movement, to resettle that which has become unsettled and do so in a way that uh, gives us purpose, gives us a good feeling about the future, includes everyone, hates no one. We don't have time for that. We have to get on with this. And if the world stops spinning and nothing else happens and no one comes for us in 20 years, it's going to take. And by the way, those kids in those high schools and colleges should know that one out of every four persons sitting in that room is going to come out and join this food movement in some form, either growing, producing, distributing, networking. That's what full employment looks like. And that will again be an honored, you know, an honored status in life. In 1910, the average Missouri farmer, average Missouri farmer, that farm wife had a full-time cook and a full-time maid. And the craftsmanship and the details and the beauty of these little prairie schooners, these farmhouses, that farmer could walk into Springfield, Missouri, where I'm calling from, with a handshake in his word, buy a house or a farm, and a pocket full of gold coins. Did not need that lawyer or banker or the New World Order as intermediaries to debt enslave him for the rest of his life because they were the producers. And they husbanded and harvested the bounty of the earth, and it was distributed in a way that, while not perfect, the, the golden age of agriculture in this particular state, 1910-1912, was the most prosperous, happy, hopeful, democratic times this people has ever seen. And it's a hundred and, what, four years behind in the rearview mirror, and it's never even spoke of. It's not the history that's taught. It's exactly what's not taught. You can't even find most of the production records online. The universities will not even replicate this lest anybody discover how far we have fallen from being honest men and honest women. You know, and those farmers, they didn't do it on 5,000-acre farms. They didn't have the equipment for that. They did it on 40 to 160-acre farms. They didn't grow 160 acres of corn. Pretty much everybody grew some corn, especially in Missouri, because it did well there. But they did it with, with – and they didn't just do it even with just growing stuff. They raised animals. They had integrated systems. They were producing an abundance of not just – surplus but an abundance of variety and when you do that if your if your corn doesn't do this well this year even though it might be a, a decent money crop for you if your if your your pigs did well your your poultry did well your your vegetables did well you're not you know in danger of losing the farm and when you saw that whole thing start to change was when farms became monocrop systems and bigger and bigger and then the epitome was the 70s when they said go big or go home but we didn't – people talk about it like everything was fine up till then, and then it was all in one fell swoop. We built up to that, and then that was like this kind of like death blow to what was left. Well, in 1971, it was read into congressional record the next year by I think it's a home political enemy of Richard Nixon. Nixon's piece or it was exposed is called The Young Executive Plan uh, to Dismantle Agriculture. 
It calls for free trade, the corporatization of agriculture, the destruction of the small farm. These are point-by-point bulletins I'm quoting from. Uh, the removal, uh, taking the federal government out of farm insurance and putting it in the hands of the bank. Uh, go down the list of what we're talking about. That was read into the congressional, U.S. congressional record in uh, Senator Holmes, 1972. And this is according, and what this is, is the young executive plan that came into the State Department in 54, Operation Paperclip and Operation Odessa, straight from the Axis occupied lands, the consolidation of agriculture there. Lest we forget, the first enemy personally named by Adolf Hitler, enemy of the state, was Rudolf Steiner. And the first people sent to the gas chambers were not Catholics, Jews, or union workers. They were organic farmers. You can look up the Chicago Sun-Times uh, correspondent summer, 1941, and the whole sordid history of that, which, of course, is not repeated here uh, in, in this country because our history is being erased. But until the 60s, whole floors of the State Department spoke nothing but German, and we had the SS major, Warner von Braun, killed tens of thousands of slaves in the Jewish slave camps for the V1 and V2 program, and at least 20,000 Englishmen with his rockets. He becomes head of the U.S. missile program. Uh, yes, I'm on a radio interview. Could we? Thank you. Uh, there was a lady coming into the room. Um, so this is the unspoken history of why we're at. The corporatist takeover had its roots in the 30s, and uh, we are following that program just like we are the National Highway Program of 1955. Go down the checklist of the corporatization and the consolidation into the hands of the banks, uh, the true history of that, uh, and it's, it's clear that when I say this is political, structural, deliberate, and it has an end game in mind, the one we're beginning to be fearful and anxious about, I bring this as reference only for one reason, to get people to wake up and start moving toward a common future that we'd all want to be part of, because not only is no one coming, no one is designed to come, and uh, there's much more, uh, Fritz Termer, that created the Codex Alimentarius Commission in 1963, signed a global contract through the Rose Law Firm with Monsanto, 1967. That was the basis of the 1991 Rio de Janeiro Bio Treaty. 181 nations of the United Nations signed it. And uh, Senator Jay Rockefeller is in charge of the population funding program, population def the depopulation funding program for the United Nations. This is structural. This is the way that a particular mindset manages the human crop. You mentioned take down the barbed wire, and they keep eating within it. We see symptoms of the programming. We do not, or we fail largely to see them in ourselves, to the degree and to the depth that each of us, lost in opposition, is losing the precious time we have to reorganize a third way, a new way, a populous way of resettling our land with the abundant resources, skills, and, yeah, education that we have and get on with it. Um, so if we can awaken, then we can move forward. And I, that's what I really see this as, not as a, an organization but an awakening, although we use the tools 
and call it We the People, Inc. We're using the same structures to buy back our land, redemocratize it, feed ourselves, and get on with a, 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 a more harmonious future for us and the planet. It's simple. It's obvious. It's sweeping. But the most important thing is it must begin. And this is where this plan separates itself from all other charitable organizations. It's an infinitive. They're going to cure cancer someday. They're going to save this or that or other someday. But what they're all doing is preserving their own position, payroll, through that organization. They cannot separate the personal from the impersonal or the transpersonal. Therefore, by putting a time limit, a direction, goals, measurable, quantifiable goals uh, taken from the business models, we have a shot at this. And uh, that's all I can promise is that we have a Hail Mary pass. That's what we got. That's the odds, a Hail Mary pass, that in 20 years of organizing and a common purpose, we the people can independently feed ourselves again and call ourselves adults. If we don't or if we run out of time, that's a different discussion. You know, what do we do if we don't have 20 years? I think that's a topic for a different discussion, and it's equally meaty, interesting, and uh, provocative. Yeah, there's so much you said there. The one thing I want to do is kind of reinforce something, though. There, I wouldn't say there's anybody that listens to this show regularly anyway that's like, gee, I trust my government. But I think sometimes when they hear a lot of things like you said there, they might think, well, is it really that bad? Taking this a little bit different look, I'd like to read something to you that Joel Salatin wrote several years ago uh, about. I could investigate what I said. I, I invite it. And yeah. Much more about Hillary's stationed down at Rose Law Firm in Monsanto. No, I, I have no doubts, but I just want to kind of reinforce how the government views people in these rural communities because they, first they did eviscerate them, but then they went too far, and now they're a little bit worried that there's not enough people there. And this is from a meeting that Joel Salatin went to. I don't want to read the whole thing. I just want to get into the important part that kind of speaks to what you're saying. So he's talked about being invited to this high-level meeting. He said, and reading into it, I'm sitting there, and he's going to say that a number uh, of needs that we have to go, the 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 say that number needs to go up. He's talking about farmers here, so we have more people to. This is what he's expecting. We'll have more people to love and steward the landscape, more people to care for earthworms, more people to grow food and fiber. Are you ready for the shoe drop, the epiphany? What could the U.S. Secretary of Agriculture, the highest strategic planning sessions of our land, be challenged by? Uh, by other leaders to change this figure to get more people in rural America to encourage farming and help get more farms started? What could be the driving reason to have more farms? Why did he go to bed at night trying to figure out how to increase farmers? How does the president and other cabinet members view his role as the nation's farming czar? What could be the most important contribution that increasing farmers could offer the nation? Better food, better soil, better development, better care for animals, better care for plants? Are you ready? Here's the answer. Although rural America only has 16% of the population, it gives 40% of personal to the military. Say what? You mean when it's all said and done, at the end of the day, the bottom line, you know, all the cliches for the whole reason of increasing farms is to provide cannon fodder for the American imperial might. He said rural kids grow up with a sense of wanting to give something back. If we lose that value system, we lose our military might. 
So the biggest concern that our government has right now about a decline in rural communities and rural farming communities is that they might not have enough people to go off and fight their wars. And this is based on a meeting with the Secretary of Agriculture. And there's a lot of people that might say, well, you know, who's reporting? If you know who Joel Salatin is, that's a man that when he looks you in the eye and gives you his word on something, you know full well you can take it. Yep. He's Polyface Farm. Uh, well, from that perspective, Joel is right. That's how they think. I sat at the table with one of the top three commanders of the Swiss defense during when they were surrounded by Hitler. You know, I had Friday night dinners at the age of 16 listening to the lions of this history. And at the time, there were 10,000 Soviet army tanks 45 minutes away across the uh, unarmed Austrian border. And you betcha uh, this was uh, uh, the kind of conversations. I'm comfortable with them. Uh, I, I'm thinking they... It, I'm not an exclusionary. I think the answer is usually expanding uh, uh, roles and participation and empowering more people. The idea of cannon fodder itself, uh, this is full disclosure. I'm not just a monk. I was a, uh, I came back from Europe educated in ways that you can only get through perspective. Came back and at, by 17 I was a uh, not just confirmed conscience objector, I was willing to go to Leavenworth for four years rather than participate in the, the Gulf of Tonkin and the lies and everything that foreign press were reporting, but never got much play here in our press here. So I came back fairly educated about the power mechanics and politics and knew a lot about cannon fodder, the high school I came back to only for a diploma. I didn't spend my senior year there. You look at that high school, uh, you know, the yearbook they send out and the blank spaces to the young men, friends, went to school that didn't come back from Vietnam. It was They're all from the boot heel. That's, they, they laughingly, re, people refer to it, the citizens themselves, as cannon fodder uh, fields down there. Uh, the people know. Uh, they feel helpless. They don't feel there's a real voice. And uh, to come up with a positive 20-year program for we the people to embrace, whatever organization you are in, it fulfills its mission. If there's, the mission has to be that we, the people, survive what's coming, and that in turn involves looking in the mirror, first of all. We will get better leaders when we're a better people. And I go back to quoting Adam Smith about character, about morality and ethics, the basis of which commerce can then be honest and at least a fair partner, you know, in its exchange with the earth. And we have failed that. Uh, we, the people, and everyone. And, and perhaps it's by the mistakes that we've made. Perhaps you have to fall you know, from the heavens, as it were, in order to get the perspective. And yet it's a fall from which we are meant to recover. That's what I believe. I have a very hopeful vision of the future, a very positive vision of an outcome, of an end game, a strange attractor, a different end game, a, a, an awakened humanity where the other 90% of our brains deemed unnecessary to pull the levers and switches of our military and industrial captains, that can be awakened and we have an era of self-governance based upon character and the uh, ability to keep the extroverted monkey mind from running amok in our fields and everybody else's. So I would, though I share Jefferson's birthday and almost... <laughs> much of what he wrote, I have one quibble. You know, we're endowed with certain inalienable rights, including life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Excuse me. 
if you pursue it, if it's something outside, it can be taken away as well. We are either happy by grace as our birthright, as God's gift, in which case self-mastery of the monkey mind and the senses that dissolute us and, and, and divide us needs to be the standard for what it is to be a man, what it is to be a woman, what it is to be a authentic, honorable human being is self-governance. And when we begin to demonstrate that in our communities and to each other, you know, we'll see the changes we all want to see. But it has to begin at that little level, that control of that me, not me mechanism. That's all it is. I'm angry. Why? It's not me. I'm upset. Lust, anger, greed, whatever it is. First, you have to divide yourself in order to want it or resist it bad enough to get it into action. At three years old, we can be teaching our kids the difference between me and not me. That, yes, you may lose things. You may have a sour karmic prediction, predicament. People may take your body, your life, and your land, but they're not big enough to make you feel separate from them. And this is the non-dual answer to all of the problems by all this dual throng of me, not me, them, us, them, all of this. It's a modality of consciousness that is global. It is a failed modality of consciousness. And our species had better wake up to the lateness of this hour. And the Farmer Settlement Congress is a simple clarion call to just you know, regroup, rebuild community, re-empower the land and the people that live on it, begin to honor and respect those who champion health, healthy cities, healthy people, healthy government. Government can be small, lean, and mean once we the people are small, lean, and mean. And I, you look at the people, <laughs> I don't see any hope for a slimmer government just looking at <laughs> our, our population, which is like two or three times heavier than it used to be. You know, I mean, we are... Uh, at the end of the party, an orgy of the senses. And now the party's over. It's coming to an end. Some will keep partying. They will be the last to leave. They won't know. We'll feed them too. But we have to make that, take that bow of responsibility and push out the horizons until it includes us more than us four than no more. Or me and my gun. Or me and my buddies. Or me and my church. It's we the people. Period. Every attempt to define that is an agenda right now. Every attempt, however good or worthy it sounds. I don't care who they are or what they stand for. I may believe everything they say, but if they're trying to distract us from the horizon of our mutual survival, you know, they may be right. But if they come on too strong, they're wrong. And if they come on too strong into violence or lies or secrecy or manipulation, they're not going to be in the room where decisions are made. They have their world. You can go anywhere out there and compete and make a killing in the marketplace or on the battlefields or whatever you want to do. The whole world exists for that purpose. Somewhere there's got to be one small space where sanity is spoken, where harmony is demonstrated, not as an ideal, but people that can actually live that way. So all I can do is conclude by saying I live at the Forest Garden Hermitage and doing forest gardening and struggling with that mirror. Uh, people are uh, shocked. They come up and there's every kind of animal. It's increased the nitrogen pumping up there tremendously and uh, really bringing back an incredible abundance in this little acreage where I live, down by Bull Shoals. And they're shocked when they see copperheads and other animals just wandering freely. In fact, 
and crawled over my boot the other day. And they are shocked. And I said, well, what do you think harmony looks like? What do you think it looks like? You live in harmony. You're at peace with things. These creatures don't hurt us. They're not here to hurt us. It's our own big feet and insensitivity and the, the lack of awareness of everything we do that's at the root of this. And when this theory of extroversion is seen for what it is, and we realize that the educated mind has been divided into thousands of little pieces, and we a Renaissance man is what? Somebody that can speak freely and, and deeply on many, many topics, a polymath, and we call that a strong mind. Well, excuse me. I have a different strength, a different kind of definition of any person, lettered or not, literate or not, that can take a single thought and hold it in their mind until they decide to let go of that thought, undistracted. That is a strong mind. And we have been educating people into weakness upon weakness upon weakness. Not that it's wrong, not that the rational mind is wrong, but we have subsumed all other spheres and turned rationality into the totality of our approach, the singular lens that we look through, and that makes it easy for the single bottom line people. You know, the Kaiser Wilhelms, the pathologically greedy, the pathologically violent, the pathologically corrupt, to game the system and sit at its throne across this planet. That, in a word, is what we're up against. If we're up against anything other than our own, you know, lack of clarity about these things. So how can people be part of the solution? What are what are the next steps? I mean, it sounds like there's room for lots of people to do lots of different things, not just farmers. There's a lot of work to be done. Oh, boy. Well, our next step is on the solstice. Uh, it's June 19th, 20th, and 21st. The owner of a of a church campground out here has turned over the, that beautiful campground. It's been maybe not used for four or five years, so we've got crews out there month long. We're, we're refurbishing, we're rebuilding, we're, we're cleaning up this beautiful, beautiful um, Chapel Grove uh, site. And I've asked a friend uh, plays with the Ozark Mountain Daredevils to come and do music for the public that Saturday night, and another that plays with Blackberry Winter. They were on the you know, Winter Bone, that uh, movie about the uh, Ozarks. And uh, so we're having a, a women in, it's a tribal revival. It's the Farm Resettlement Congress celebration of mother culture. That's just how we're starting. And we've got two or three hundred women and kids and the men that love them coming, uh, sound men, uh, uh, canoe floats, all these kind of things, showing how a watershed organizes its community around food, around fun, around networking, and around a common vision for the future. We can, we will, and we must feed each other starting now. And here's how you do it. And uh, so all of these other parts of the program and how you get land and how uh, right now we've got students moving in here, staying with different farm homes. You know, it's like the whole farming community is our campus. Uh, they don't need to go to college. They need to work here for a couple years and then given a life land lease on, on these community trust lands with consanguinity rights. Their kids, their great-grandkids can stay there and farm as part of an integrated community. It's The ownership is triple bottom line. There's individual entrepreneurial ownership. There's community ownership involvement. And then there's the entire Earth's ownership and the watershed that is helping integral to this. It's a reorganization of local politics. 
totally local politics. It's a it's a common sense approach, a business plan based upon food, energy, and job relocation. Uh, now that's one half of it. Here's something that just it, it tickles me every time. Ethan Hughes up at La Plata, Missouri, he and several others have the Possibility Alliance. They had 1,500 young people come there last year to this two-bedroom farmhouse. 1,500, many of them on bicycles, if you can believe that, as far away as California, to learn how to to milk, to make leather, to permaculture gardens, um, and that's where you go and learn. Uh, a young man, uh, Adam Campbell, I believe his name is, he's got a master's in uh, permaculture village design. They've set up a peace and permaculture center so that kids coming out of the city they got Farmville in their head, and after 48 hours, 58, 50% of them lead the country because of the heat, the ticks, the body odor. They were not prepared for reality <laughs> as nature. And so to keep that other half that, that want to learn, that want to farm, that feel that pull, they've set up the Peace and Permaculture Center. It's an incubator that takes 30 days or so, and it integrates them into the community bit by bit and, and eases their transition. Every village that we propose is going to have something similar, you know, to that because though they may desire it, they they don't want that $200,000 college debt, you know, and ask for a large order of fries. They want to get something real and connected, but they can't. Not yet. We've reached such a high mind larval stage that uh, given goodwill, no evil, nothing we're not going to surf the coming fecal tsunami. We're just not going to make it as a people unless we really start focusing on uh, each other as valuable, as a community that can can and must be rebuilt and is being rebuilt. My God, this farmer's market movement uh, is astonishing. We've got chickens here in Springfield again uh, for the first time, and that was against the combined opposition of most elected officials, the banks, the realtors, and the Chamber of Commerce and the soft power, people power, uh, got chickens, and it's legal to grow vegetables and sell them within the city limits. It was illegal. And this is uh, the the tide now turning in another direction. The next battle is for that second big quadrant, production, uh, distribution, ownership at the local food hub level. And uh, that's the battle is on. Uh, all of the universities are out here doing studies for food hubs, taking intel from everybody, their food, to what they grow and everything, but it's not for the people. It's being funded by the same corporatists that want to extend ownership of food hubs clear down to the surf level, and we surfs are saying, not going to happen. So there's, there's definitely a rebellion at foot. I actually refer to it as insurrection, and as we wrap up, I think you might like this um, this thought. Uh, I, I used to call this a revolution, and as I analyzed that over time, I determined that a revolution was not sufficient because a revolution is a transfer of power from one group of leaders to another. And that an insurrection is actually the seizing of the responsibility of leadership by the insurrectionists themselves. 
and it may be a peaceful insurrection, but it's an insurrection, and it's on. I see it with our local customers that buy our duck eggs. They come here, and they don't just want our eggs. They want to walk our farm. They want to see the animals, and not in some weird hipster vibe. You know what I mean? It's not that, like, oh, dude, I want to be able to go tell my friends that I have for my dinner party that I saw the duck that laid the egg. It's like they really want to know and they're bringing their kids, and they're showing their kids, and they're they're watching our videos. And they when they come here, they're like, you know, where where's Barbie the duck, or where are the brothers Green? Like the kids know the ducks by name, and they want to see them. And when you, when that kind of thing starts happening, it's it's insurmountable. Like you talked about getting these things done against every layer of opposition that could be done. In the end, once the wind blows hard enough, even those in power tend to sail with the wind and against it. I agree. I'm a Gandhian. I, I, I am literally a Gandhian. I believe in passive non-cooperation. Uh, we're simply turning our attention to a, an awakening. As you said, revolve, revolve era. You know, it just goes around. What goes around comes around. And we became the people we dispossessed because we're the same people. This is an awakening which has the same import as Gandhi's uh, uh, movement in India had uh, through... Peace, first of all, you know, ahimsa, radical nonviolence. And the second is satyagraha, radical, passive, non-cooperation with those things that are not true. And uh, I think if we put health as the universal qualifier, everybody knows it when they have lost it. You know, if not by definition, at least by loss, we know what health is. And if we bring this back to our relationships with self, the creator source, with community, and with the, uh, the natural law and nature, we will be blessed. We will be in alignment with a higher creativity and intelligence that, whose exuberant expression is this universe. And I think that if we have a, a, just a modicum of faith that there is some power higher than government or the international bankers or money or private ownership or Second Amendment... Nothing wrong, not beating up on any of this. I'm trying to get people to awaken to something bigger than the narrowness of their focus and expand that focus to a horizon that includes you, includes me, includes everyone. And so I think the job of a, of a movement and the leadership, who's anybody that speaks to this, is to keep that horizon inclusive and free for all to participate and not be measured you know, not let, not our shoulders be measured by the smallness of the things that offend offends us, but by the the breadth of the vision and the number of people we determine that are in that circle that we care for. Because the moment those trucks stop rolling, wealth is going to be measured by how many people we can feed and for how long. And you know what? That's always been the measure. And so I say, men of America, who are you being? Women of America. Regain lawful husband, husbanding of the seed and food supply because you nurture all of us and you won't corrupt it in the way it has been corrupted and weaponized and turned against the people themselves. We need some right brains uh, flexing their muscles here. And when I talk of that 95% uh, purchase power, Lysistrata, yep, you bet. Uh, but it's not a threat. It's a way of empowering all of us. It's a way of bringing men back to their, their egality, biological egality, women back to biological egality, children back into a respect and harmony that is natural to them, a relationship to nature. And uh, 
Tech, I thank you for this opportunity to speak. I, I hope it's probably raised as many questions as were answered, and I, I can feel there would be many more questions, but uh, I thank you for this opportunity. Well, I appreciate you being here with us today, and I think that um, you know, you mentioned Gandhi, and, and one of my favorite things from that world is first they ignore you, then they ridicule you, then they fight you, and then you win. And I think that we have gone past uh, the ridicule stage. I think that's the most encur encouraging thing, that th this entire movement of local food and, 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 and rewilding and all the things that go with it was ignored. Uh, and then it was it was ridiculed. It was, you know, it was, you know, it's a bunch of hippies and whatever. And um, now it's being fought. And I think that instead of being downtrodden about the fact that it's being fought, we should be joyful because, indeed, it takes resistance uh, for for your for your ideas to have mattered. Uh, no one who puts forth anything valid uh, ever it fails to be resisted. And I think that resistance is actually beginning to fade, and, and, and the danger is they're trying to figure out, well, how can we co-opt this? How can we, how can we hold on to this? But I think that, you know, if, if you can't control a distributed technology like Bitcoin, which would actually not be that technologically difficult, good luck controlling five million new farmers. Good luck with that. I just... I don't see the way that that works. And, you know, what I said when I talked about this insurrectionist thinking in California was the way you defeat an insurrection is to starve it out. And you can't starve us because we're planting trees. We're growing food. So you can't starve out this insurrection because we literally have the first goal to feed ourselves, then to feed our neighbors, and then to feed our region, and then to feed our world. So since the first goal is to feed ourselves – Good luck with starving out the resistance because, well, we got that covered. And, and that is very encouraging to me. And the work that you're doing and the, the viewpoint that you bring is very encouraging to me. And I thank you for being with us today, Galen. Well, again, so much. If anyone would want to write to me, I can give you a, a mailing address. Sure. The Forest Garden Hermitage. And that's a P.O. Box 434, Theodosia. T-H-E-O-D-O-S-I-A, Missouri, M-O, 65761. And we're particularly looking for young volunteers that want hands-on, uh, get involved. Uh, uh, soil restoration is one of the three great pillars of what we're doing. The uh, biotics now that are being developed, and along with carbon sequestration, uh, is... Uh, creating literally magic bullet results with single application. Some of the stuff eats glyphosate. It destroys it in the soil within a single season, and your earthworm count goes from zero or two or four per cubic foot to 144 at the end of a, a season. Uh, your uh, land values are going up uh, two to $400 an acre. You can go from the fescue desert we've been led into here into orchard grass or even alfalfa, You've got two or three, four hundred dollars an acre that could be a fungible economic instrument for we the people. If you've got anybody out there listening that's catching the drift of what I'm saying, they've got my address. And uh, all I would say is to be as uh, gentle as a dove and as wise as a serpent. Stalin uh, surrounded uh, eight to fifteen million Ukrainians and simply starved them to death in an area as big as the bioregion we're working in now. 
I, I think we, we can't dismiss pathology, and we can't dismiss that there's an opposition in all things, but we can do our job, and we can stand uh, in a truth that we are one. This is one earth. We're one people. We have one destiny, and uh, allow nothing or no one to be big enough to make us feel separate from them or it. At that point, we can talk about true responsibility. That's the beginning of a true insurrection, is taking responsibility for who we're being right now. It's not looking at somebody else. It's not defining somebody else. It's not uh, creating a scheme, a cosmic scheme of good or bad. It's self-honesty. And that begins only with self-realization. And that becomes when trying to struggle with nature and grow your own food and getting humbled in the process and realizing the, 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 the size of the task to be fully standing to our own height, to be feeding ourselves independently, individually, and as a people, taking care of all of those too young or too old, or for whatever reason, they're our responsibility. And the moment we begin to self-govern through responsibility, we'll notice that the big bad boogeyman of organized hierarchical Caesar, you know, Pharaoh, it suddenly is brittle. It has no structure. It has no sustenance other than the, the psychic drainage it's taking off us with every transaction, with every thought that depends on something or someone else to feed us, to fulfill our personal goals, dreams, and desires ahead of, you know, its proper role in, in the natural order of things. Anyway, this is just turning into a philosophy session. <laughs> but I, I am a practical man. I've, I've got an agricultural patent that I tried to give to four governments. That's another whole topic. I, I know firsthand about Monsanto. I don't need any instruction on a computer. been there at the front lines. And uh, I can... Uh, share things with you, but I hope that it's always about uh, nurturing, about positive roles, about how people of every walks in life. I'm talking to my local bankers. You know, they're not part of the international cartel. That's my neighbor. I'm talking to the local cop. The last three times I've been pulled over for coming a little too fast into some rural town and not seeing the sign, they, I have spent up to a half an hour talking to that local cop, and they leave with my business card and the Farm Resettlement Congress pamphlet in their hand and a promise to stay in touch. And the tickets are long forgotten. <laughs> Not that I'm a teacher anyway. I'm saying use every opportunity with the checkout lady in that line, with whoever it is, begin to talk common sense, and then move step by step, you know, toward a, a more sustainable and self-sufficient lifestyle. We, uh, we're, we're peak food. The transition movement talks about peak oil. These movements can now combine. And believe me, I, I understand the prepper and survivalist mentality simply because I live alone in the woods. One of my nearest neighbors is a live cougar den, you know, and the stuff they eat is bigger than me. I, I'm just saying that there is a an edge that each person needs to explore, explore that takes them to their undefined spiritual core of things. And this is inward, not outward. It's in-education, not education. Mm. And to the extent that we just shift the conversation, we've done enough because that meme will self-replicate and spread. That's the whole point of an awakening. It's not an organization. It's a self-spreading by its own demonstration that's the beauty of an awakening, and that's what Gandhi did, Martin Luther King, uh, St. Francis, overthrew the entire Byzantium worldview in eight and a half years. 
to the point the emperor of the Holy Roman Empire walked from Vienna to Rome over the Alps, no small feat, in penance to beg this mad monk off because, in his words, there were not enough military-aged men in all of Europe, including England, to raise another army to fight the Saracen. So in eight and a half years of a guy on foot, you know, in a small little corner of the world, the power of that message set the stage for the Renaissance and the modern world we live in today. Nothing less is required now. Nothing less. And to speak in terms of little, 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 little goals and little, little dreams does not serve us. We need an all-defining we the people horizon and stick to it and, and keep those who would sabotage it, the provocateurs of every side and every stripe and the mentally deranged from uh, co-opting, misdirecting, or sabotaging this. And uh, there's much to speak about that. I'm a child of the 60s. I understand what they did at the March of Chicago in the national media. I get all of this. But if so, so what? What do we do different this time? How do we redirect our energy in positive, life-affirming ways and sink or swim with that choice? That's it. Well, I thank you for all of that. Um, and I think that one of the big things we do is we take a personal stake. I think as people start to build uh, their own piece of this new vision, it then becomes personal when someone tries to interfere with it or take it. And it's not a disconnected third-level reality that's over there somewhere. It's something real to us. And a lot of what you talked about today was just that. Again, folks, the website. Uh, that you can learn more about everything that we were talking about today and uh, get a lot of information on the Farmer Settlement Congresses. Shockingly, org. I will have a, a link to that website in today's show notes. And, and again, Galen, thank you for being with us today on today's show. Thank you so much, Jack. If you could send a, a cinematographer or someone to put this on YouTube, our first tribal revival, our first watershed gathering here at the Solstice, could be put out and every watershed across a thousand watersheds could see kind of what we the people are doing over in this neck of the woods so you've got that address and uh i wonder if i've got invites to come to texas can i give you a call and, and we could have a we'd have that proverbial beer together right? uh, yeah. when i through your neck of the woods yeah get in touch with me and and as long as i'm here if i'm not gone uh, we can certainly do something as far as somebody videoing that um, I don't have a crew available right now, but there are over 100,000 people listening today, so get in touch uh, with Galen, especially if you're in the Missouri, Northern Arkansas area. And mention, uh, notice Bull Shoals. I know right where that's at because I used to live not too far from there. Uh, get in touch with Galen and, and, and see what you can do uh, to get more out about this. But with that, I want to say at this point, this has been Jack Spearco today along with Galen Chadwick, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, and we follow all the rules. There's a better Let me show you 
Nobody up there cares, they're living for 